Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Eric Katz, co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health, a microbial sciences company pioneering probiotics and other applications of microbes for human planetary health. A serial entrepreneur, she has led multiple e-commerce brands and advises startups across the health, tech, and consumer spaces. In this episode, we dive deep into everything you ever wanted to know about the microbiome. Era explains exactly what the gut microbiome is, why it's so important, how our birth affects our microbiome, and some of the biggest offenders on our gut. She shares tips on what we can do to nourish our gut, including specific foods, and of course, probiotics. And lastly, she shares how Seed is changing the probiotic game and the amount of research behind it. Era is such an incredible wealth of information. Keep listening to learn more. Era, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to meet you. You too as well. I'm very excited to be here. So at Purely Elizabeth, our And on this podcast, our mission is really helping our community thrive on their wellness journey. And I think wellness today wouldn't be complete without talking about the microbiome, about probiotics, all of which were not part of the conversation so many years ago, but something personally that I have just really loved and resonated and I'm so excited to have you as this expert in the field to help educate us and really help decipher, I think, a lot of the noise of what is, what isn't. So welcome. Thank you. Yes, I will do do my best. Although when I hear the word expert, given the scientist, <laughs> given the scientists I work with as a non-scientist, I definitely get that like Stockholm syndrome <laughs> feeling, but uh but or imposter syndrome feeling, I guess, too. But I will, yes, of course, do my best. I, I can say I'm an expert translator. Exactly. Sure. That's um, what we need. Wonderful. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning of your wellness journey and really what initially got you interested in exploring microbiome. Probably not dissimilar to most people. Or I think usually our, our journey start way before LinkedIn picks up in our life. <laughs> but, you know, we're in high school, I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer in high school. And that was a initial at least first planting of the seed for me to love and un- get to understand science and clinical trials and certainly what it looks like when we don't have our health, which not everyone experiences at a really early age and was a very profound moment for me. That set off kind of a lifelong journey for like truly trying to understand like how we make these choices for our bodies every day and the impact that they have. And so I think I kind of always knew I'd end up somewhere and I've always loved science and health somewhere in, in this world. Of course, my journey, like many people, I think <laughs> is circuitous and far beyond the narrative. I think that like five bullets on LinkedIn always says, but you know, for me, actually I ended up mostly in tech and on um, this weird kind of intersection of like design tech and kind of consumer and storytelling and media. And my career kind of has an interesting trajectory across those worlds, but I was Really, it was when I had a miscarriage. I, I, I resigned as a co-founder from a mobile commerce company that I'm very proud to have started and did a lot of really cool, interesting things there, including launching Apple Pay and some other, if you can remember a moment where you couldn't just tap your 
That's called crazy. invite things, which I know for people listening, they're like, well, I don't remember that. I'm like, yeah, it didn't exist, actually. Right. And not that um, long ago. When, when was that, that that launched? That was, we launched Spring, I think, in 2014, I believe. And then that company was acquired, but I, I had a miscarriage prior to that. And I really just was like a very pivotal moment for me to say, you know, what what do I really care about now that I know how to build things and make things and raise capital and put things out in the world and have these skills and an ability to kind of connect dots in ways that I think could be really impactful if I put it into the right place. Uh, I really thought a lot about that and, and I actually got pregnant very shortly after my miscarriage and resigning, which as a female founder in tech is never an easy thing. And after I got pregnant, I met my co-founder Raja and I think, you know, when you're pregnant, I always say there's kind of two ways women find their way to their body or certainly like moments where you're like deep in the Google. Uh, and that's pathology in pregnancy. You either get sicker or knocked up, <laughs> really. And the microbiome had already kind of come onto my radar as somebody who considers myself in the early adopter bucket of nerdy things that impact kind of health and maybe the biohacking space. And then I met my co-founder Raja, who of course comes from the more scientific place. Uh, space and had been studying and following the field since like 2006 when some of the early like really big seminal mouse studies have come out really like kind of putting the field on the international and kind of global map and then that's kind of what set off the velocity of the field and so we both kind of came at it from different places and we had already started building seed but really it was through my pregnancy of course understanding <laughs> the extraordinary role that I'm sure we'll get into talking about that microbes play in an infant's development, not just afterwards, but also from the maternal microbiome and from what I might be actions and choices that I make and how that shapes my child's microbiome through the seeding process, which is where our name comes from. And then I had a lot of trouble breastfeeding after a few months. And I think that's another area that we can start, we can unpack in terms of the role the breastfeeding plays in the developing child's microbiome. And so, you know, it was really in my personal experience that just was so shaped by the more I understood about the microbial world, the more I felt very compelled that this was both where I wanted to create the greatest impact. I had found the, uh, an awesome co-founder to do it with. And I also felt that more than just the research and innovation and I think that, but I felt really confident we could achieve. I knew that we could also use this space to create education and also give people a new language and a way to make choices. Like to your point about people's health journeys and wellness journeys, just Sometimes it's just about giving people the right language and why to do something that can really shift perspective. And I think for so many people who suffer from autoimmune conditions and so many things that are very complex and often involve the microbiome, even whether they know, know it or not at the time, it offers like this whole new rationale and field for things that we actually have so much agency over and the choices we make over every day versus like an area like genomics, which Unfortunately, we don't today, unless you have like a home CRISPR machine, <laughs> in which case maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit, but still, I don't think the science is there yet. That's amazing. So when you first met your partner, yeah. did, was that just a serendipitous meeting or how did that come about? It was interesting. We were, and you know, he was actually very nerdy and had, had been working on really like innovative ways to extract micronutrients from plants and all kinds of like novel compounds. And he was thinking about bringing a company, his company into the consumer realm at the time. And we were introduced to a woman that I had known who worked at Apple in the Valley said to him, look, if you're 
if you're going to even try and translate this nerd stuff <laughs> into the world, there's one person you want to talk to. And thankfully it was such a, it was such a great match. I mean, we actually, he ended up leaving his other company and we started seed together. And so I think we just had a lot of, even though we came from very different backgrounds, I think we had a lot of belief about the opportunity, the impact microbiome was going to make on where probiotics were going with a much more five, 10 year, 15 year view versus a vitamin and supplement like, like lens, which is, I think a very limited way to hopefully by the end of this podcast, everyone will see a very limited way to understand how we can use microbes to impact health. And I think we both had a lot of irreverence and a rebellious part of us that loved being like the anti the, the antithetical to a lot of what we were seeing out in the world and felt that we could also articulate that both through extraordinary innovation and products, but as, but also through the way that we would show up in the world as a company and a brand. Well, that must have, that person who connected you, uh, you certainly sounds like you owe a lot to them and really yes. being able to bring this mission that you were both feeling in different ways to life. Yes. Um, so just to take a step back, you first mentioned resigning as a co-founder from this other company before we like continue on seed. Yeah. I'm just curious to hear as someone who their company is your baby and like that becomes your life, how that was for you in leaving that and, and coming into this new business. I mean, it was, look, it was, <laughs> you're talking about, I was leaving a life of like living on planes between New York and LA, killing myself and also doing it for something that had to do with commerce that not that there's anything wrong with that, but that I don't feel is my calling in life. It wasn't a greater mission. Um, and, and, and the mission itself actually, just in terms of like what we started as and how much it empowered actually a lot of the smaller brands and companies that we work with, like I actually like felt really good about, but I think I would say that it, when you, ha the miscarriage was just like a good snap out of like, okay, like if you're going to work this hard, if you're going to do all these things, like what are you really doing? Um, and what, are you, what impact are you making? And like, who is this for? And I think that, that, that ultimately those, you know, when you start to ask those questions and at the time my, my then boyfriend, now husband and baby daddy, <laughs> uh, soon to be in a week or week or two, we'll see unless my water breaks on this uh, podcast. <laughs> Uh, soon to be my second baby daddy. He was just like, look, what are we, like, what are we doing? Are we getting, are we going to like start a life together? Are we like, you know, and I think there was just, there was just enough, it was like enough things. Like sometimes you just have those moments where it's not that something else has to be bad. And it's just that it's not, it's no longer viable for you. You know, kind of like the pregnancy wasn't and a miscarriage wasn't. And I think, you know, miscarriages in some ways are miracles. The fact that our biology kind of knows when something's not viable, but I think for me, it was just like, symbolic of a lot of other things that were happening in my life that didn't feel viable nor sustainable. And I think I wanted to create something that, you know, really felt that way. And I think I've always, I had always wanted, you know, as a director, you can direct all these like studio movies and then you want to make your, um, the film you've always wanted to make. And I, I think for me, Seed was this way of creating something that I just, you know, sometimes you start companies because you just, you can make them the way you wish the world was more. And I think I had enough ex experience and, and had seen enough things and felt enough of what I knew I didn't want to create 
that I think in some ways it was like that created the negative space for me to be like, well, this is what I want to paint. And this is what I want to be. If I'm, if I'm going to get an Oscar <laughs> or if I'm going to go for it or at least work this hard, it needs to look and be this fulfilling and meaningful. Both for me every day, I don't even just mean like what we put out in the world, like I have to existentially be fulfilled, intellectually be fulfilled. And I think that's really a lot of, you know, beyond the microbiome and all the what, what the business does and why for myself personally, it needed to kind of have, have all of those attributes. Well, I think that's such a good lesson for anybody of really taking that time to understand what's fulfilling and what you need in your life. Yeah. So many people are going through that now as like a silver lining to COVID. Yes. And to recognize that it's a privilege to have the choice to do so, you know? Yeah, totally. So let's dive into the microbiome. And for people who, I, I know that's such an open-ended statement, but for people <laughs> who really just to like, grasp our hands and set the foundation for you know, what the microbiome does and, and why is it so important that we nourish it with the things that we do to keep it healthy? Sure. So, I mean, I think the microbiome is such a, along with other th- terms that we will talk about, like probiotics and prebiotics and all the other, the, the lexicon of gut mania that exists today, particularly in the U.S., it's important to like just foundationally define things. So there's a number of different like levels. There's like nerd to like the absolute nerdiest definition of microbiome, but like in the middle is, is that it is the collection or community of microbes, not just bacteria, but all all microbes that live in, on and around us. And if you want to get a little nerdier, also the things that they make, their genes, their constituent parts, but they're in little environments, but for the most part, the best way to think about it is the collection of all microbes that live in on in on around us. It's about 50, as of the one of the last study that we use and cite, despite the 10 to 1 number being thrown around quite a bit previously, it is about 50-50 with your human cells. So if you really think about that, which is extraordinary, somewhere between that and 100 trillion cells, depending on what which study and what, what citation you want to use. And you think that 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 includes just 38 trillion of them alone are bacteria. So when you start thinking about the fact that for so long we were studying ourselves, <laughs> but not knowing half of ourselves, it's an incredible discovery. That could a new discovery. I mean, and such a new discovery, but not just even a new discovery. It's also a real shift in how we see microbes, right? Because for centuries we have mostly thought that they're all bad and tried to kill them <laughs> and eradicate them. Uh, that was before we knew they made up 50% of our cell count uh, and did some really important things. And, to your, to your, and, then, and then to just kind of go dive a little deeper, the reason that people usually use microbiome and like gut health almost like interchangeably, even though it is all the microbes that live in on us. So for women, it's your vaginal microbiome. It's your, for everybody, it's your oral microbiome, which has like over 700 species of microbes just in your mouth alone, uh, your nasal microbiome, your skin microbiome, your armpit microbiome, your optical microbiome, you know, there's microbes everywhere. And they have these very distinct features as little ecosystems, not dissimilar to like the earth, for example, like you have deserts, you have cl- different climates, different, and you know, your armpit has different climate conditions <laughs> for, and what the, the, the microbes that evolved to live on your in your armpit are different than the ones that evolved to live on your face, which are different than the ones that evolved to live 
on your forearm. And so each of those environments, it had this kind of co-evolutionary experience with microbes and fulfilled different roles. But the gut and the reason that the gut is, of course, the one that it gets used interchangeably with more like as a euphemism is because that's where the majority of microbes, the densest microbial population is in your gut. And so what people and I think where the field started was like looking very locally at what they do. But of course, now over a decade into so much of this research and having a lot of the more advanced tools and science and ability to like start to really understand not just what's where they are, but like what they're doing has really led to not just looking at their role in things like digestion, gastrointestinal health, gut immune function, our immune health, but also really looking at these other axes like the gut brain axis and that bi-directional pathway and that communication that happens between the gut and the brain. Also looking at things like the gut liver axis and its role in cholesterol, the gut lung axis and like its role in respiratory health, the gut skin axis and looking at its role in inflammation on the skin, how that, you know, your skin is a part of that immune system and also crosstalk that's happening there. And so what everything from like between digestion, skin health, cardiovascular health, our brains, <laughs> our, our moods, moods, right? You know, it's and, and how that influences our behavior and our appetite and whether or not we know if we're full or not. These are things that, and, and of course, in, in the, that's when it's functioning positively. But of course, now we're also starting to understand and correlate that when there's dysfunction or what they call dysbiosis in the gut, how that, that malfunctioning or dysfunction and dysbiosis, of course, starts to be correlated with and give rise to so many areas of health that honestly is kind of unprecedented in terms of discovering a new area, particularly of the body, that influences so many of these conditions that, of course, we've never seen before in human history. We used to die of communicable diseases, <laughs> the things that you catch as of course, I think we have found out very unfortunately over the last couple of years, but you know, now we die of things that are non-communicable like type two diabetes. And um, we see the rise of like autoimmune conditions and asthma and allergies, things that were un are unprecedented, but all of course correlate with a lot of the dysfunction that we're starting to see in this ecosystem because of a lot of the ways that we live today. It's unbelievable. I think it felt like for so long it was inflammation, using that term is like the root of all yes. our issues. And now it's everything is correlated to the gut, which obviously is interconnected with inflammation. But really that understanding is fascinating. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're getting to a place where we start to understand that those inflammatory responses are the role, the mechanistic role, the, the positive thing that's coming from this although the, the behavioral and systemic changes needed uh, are not going to happen anywhere as fast and honestly may never happen. Like, I don't think fast food shutting down and I hope omega-6 intake goes down. I hope people take more omega-3s. I hope people eat more plants. And, and you know, there's so many things that I, I could, of course, be helpful. But the good news, at least from the research side and microbiome, is that the more that we've understood, the more we've been able to understand mechanistically the role that they're actually playing, which microbes, which metabolites are they making that actually influence and contribute to these conditions, what pathways. And that, of course, is going to lead and is leading to 
the development of like very specific probiotics, therapeutics, line biotherapeutics, and, and small molecules, meaning like taking the metabolites that the microbes are making and then being able to administer them for a lot of these honestly massive unmet medical needs that um, have arisen from a lot of the things that we've, of course, done to our micro microbiome and, and to our human you know, body as well. So there's, there's hope in some ways because the, the research is advancing so quickly, but at the same time, of course, it illuminates how to your question about like, why is it so important and what does it do? It, all of it also illuminates how important it is and why, you know, kind of nurturing it and having it as part of your thinking about it as part of your wellness and, and health. Uh, and also as we raise children, is going to be so critical. Yeah. So let's dive into that piece on raising children. And as you talked about at the beginning, certainly I know that's a huge piece of it. And, you know, having a natural childbirth versus not plays a big role into it. So I would love to dive into a little bit about that. One of the most interesting things that we have learned in microbiome research is actually discovering the role that they play in the early, these kind of early critical windows of development for a child, which starts in the mother. And then of course becomes a part of your systemic health narrative really all the way through adulthood. And one of the huge areas of, of microbiome science is kind of broken down into a few things. It's probably the first is looking at the maternal microbiome and the prenatal microbiome. For a long time, scientists thought the womb was just sterile and that a baby really didn't get what, what they call, which is where our name comes from, seeded until birth, no matter whether it was C-section or vaginal. Now we're starting to understand that actually a lot of the choices that we make as mothers or, or pregnant mothers and what happens in the prenatal microbiome, while there's still a little bit of uncertainty around the sterility of the womb, meaning are there a lot of microbes in the womb? We do know that the maternal, the metabolites, meaning what a mother's gut microbiome is doing and diet and other factors that she chooses absolutely impact the development of that child's microbiome and other biomarkers that can be measured like BM, like weight, height, like things like that. They're starting to look at like the mother's diet during pregnancy and the correlations with what happens at like, you know, 12, 16, 18 months. So we now know that there's like a lot that's shaping the microbiome, even prenatally. The seeding process, which is the actual exposure to microbes, the mother load, whether there's some early exposure or not, the mother load is happening at birth. And there's a lot of sensationalism around, you know, vaginal versus C-section and a lot of shaming and a lot of kind of not dissimilar to like breastfeeding versus formula, right? Those are the two kind of big things that I think are really charged topics. And What's interesting is that a vaginally born child, you'll look that early microbial signature right away looks like vaginal microbes, fecal microbes for, for any woman that has given birth, they will know what I mean. If you haven't, I can just tell you there's often a lot of poop involved and or the holes are very close to each other. And so there are microbes, fecal microbes around. And then of course skin, because of course there's usually like a lot of skin to skin right after birth. In a C-section baby, you'll see almost immediately much more looking like the, the gut microbiome or the microbiome will look much more like the skin. What has been sensationalized is this idea that like, that's like a binary outcome. And like everyone who's like, I was a C-section baby, I'm screwed for life. <laughs> so I'm like, it's not exactly how it happens. So yes, I mean, yes, 
I would say a lot of scientists and clinicians and you know, researchers would agree that vaginal birth is optimal, but what they have started to find is that in the presence of breastfeeding and in the absence of antibiotics in the first 18 months, you do start to see microbiome start to converge. So you start to look at the compositions and they start to converge. And, that's, and, and so then of course the next question is, well, I was C-section and I was fed formula, so now I'm really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the good news there is there's a few things happening. One is that more and more formulas and companies that recognize and science are starting to be able to administer probiotics. So bacteria that the, that there's bacteria, you know, there's a lot of microbial, there's a microbial composition of breast milk. So there's, again, they thought breast milk was sterile for a long time. Of course, there's lots of microbes in there, but more than microbes, what they call HMOs, um, which are human milk oligosaccharides, which are these carbohydrates that actually a third of which in breast milk are not even food for the human part of the baby. They're only for like, think of it as fertilizer food for the bacteria that is growing and, and proliferating in the infant's gut. And so there's a lot of research happening to synthesize these HMOs and put them into formula now. So it's very hard to find a formula these days that is not claiming to have some sort of either prebiotic, which are these HMOs. And of course, there's a lot of really interesting research and some early stage, early companies that have some of the strains for supplementation, either in the formula or in addition to that have been, you know, studied for, for different things. And, and while it's not a perfect one-to-one -one replacement today with breast milk, I think that certainly the more we're understanding the, the infant microbiome, the more formula and some of these other alternative interventions are starting to at least become better plan Bs um, than breast milk. And then of course, there's the other aspect of it, which is environment. So, you know, everything from what are you cleaning your home with and are you over bathing your child and where do you live? And are you, is your whole house Cloroxed every day? You know, th things that, that, that whether or not you have a dog, for example. Second, um, you're bad to have a dog. Good, good. It increases. I have two puppies, right? Yes. So yeah, no, pets have, pets have their own microbiome, but actually they're really good. Think of their microbiome and the microbes they carry around is almost like training your immune system. You think about that. And then of course, where you live, whether you live in a rural environment, you're exposed to a lot of the endotoxins or microbes that are in the environment there versus uh, living in the built environment, like in cities where there's actually a lack of microbial diversity and things like stress and sleep. There are so many other aspects that also influence after birth, the development of that microbiome. So um, when you move to solid food, it becomes a question more like now, now it gets into like actually solid foods and diet, which after those early years, up until about three to five years old is when you're kind of developing what they call your steady state microbiome. So once your microbiome at that point has been established, obviously, as you just mentioned, there's all these factors that affect our gut microbiome. Certainly antibiotics being like a huge offender. And I'd be curious for you, A, to start with that, because I know that that wreaks havoc, but any other like major problem or, or the biggest impact things, I guess, yeah. in our adult life on our microbiome. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, look, antibiotics, the challenging nuance to antibiotics is that 
they're probably one of the most important inventions of all community. <laughs> and we probably wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast without them. The hard thing is that there's 251 million prescriptions written of antibiotics in the United States every year, over half of which are for things that have absolutely nothing to do, no of, of things that are of no bacterial origin. And therefore they're being so indiscriminately used that it's leading to really big problems, what they call AMR, which is antimicrobial resistance, which means that they're actually no longer working. So for women who have UTIs, for example, you know, Cipro, I think Cipro's antibiotic resistance rate is almost at like somewhere between 17 and 20%. Wow. If you think about that, it's like, they just no longer work for one in five women, right? Like that something creates some crazy number like that. So antimicrobial resistance, meaning like when they just stop working, <laughs> because of overuse, right? We've overtrained and made our immune systems now able to say and be smart enough to evade there and to resist them. That is one of the biggest problems, as well as of course the individual, like what you were alluding to, which is the individual problem that it's like, especially when you don't need them, you're just indiscriminately, you know, nuking your gut microbiome. Because it's not like my, you know, it's not like the probiotic, you know, an antibiotic goes into your system and it's like, you know what, I'm just gonna stay away from the good guys. I'm just going now in the future, there'll be especially narrow spectrum probat um, antibiotics, which there are of course already, but of course in the future, I think we'll start to figure out how antibiotics could be even more targeted and we'll start to obviously understand some of the more the effects that it's having on even good guys um, in us. But for today, I mean, a lot of the broad spectrum antibiotics, which are the ones that are probably most often misprescribed or overprescribed, are wreaking havoc. And when you do that, unless you're doing it purposely for specific indication or condition, it has all kinds of implications like we were talking about earlier. It can lead to all kinds of problems and exacerbate existing ones. And so that is for sure something which is, you know, I would say indiscriminate use of antibiotics is something I would really just be mindful of. I think a lot of people still are like, oh, I feel like a cold and I have to go away. I'm just going to grab a pack just to make sure. And I think, you know, a lot of people are stopping doing that, but, you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, the numbers are not going down. So is it true that taking that like basically kills off all the good in your gut for six months? I think I heard that was the time. No, it, I'll be honest with you. It depends on the antibiotic. It depends on the dose. It depends on your starting microbiome and it's not as black and white. And there are different studies that have demonstrated different antibiotics have different recovery and rescue effect rates. So I would, there is not like one yeah. answer. I think one of the challenges is that a lot of people end up on multiple courses of antibiotics consecutively. So that probably obviously continues to compound in some way, but no, there, there are some that are, there's some that are, again, it has a lot to do with what did you start with Sure. versus what does it do? If that makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of like starting a small fire in a very dense rainforest um, and putting it out versus starting a small fire where you have two trees. <laughs> it's going to have a bit, it's very different. Yeah. You knock everything out or you just knock a tiny little thing out. And it's like, it has the more, more resilience to come back faster, which is kind of what eco, how ecosystems work, which is um, both good and bad as we start to understand why, how to help and nurture this, this ecosystem that of course works so hard to nurture us. In terms of the other things, I mean, things that people are surprised by, I mean, I'll get to diet last, but it's the most important, I would say. I'd say the, the other things that people are sometimes surprised by are, are other medications. So 
and say it. So things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So Advil as an example, right? Like Motrin, like ibuprofen, like these are things that I think people still pop pretty indiscriminately, yeah. but I don't think they fully understand that, you know, a lot of these medications have an impact on your microbiome. And I think we still take them very promiscuously. Other things like also antacids. So like just popping tongs, no matter how, whether you're the natural type or the not natural type, doesn't matter. And then I think when you go into the natural and kind of more wellness world, you know, I think people forget the power of things like oregano oil, right? Like I think there's this notion that, oh, well, it's not an, anti it's not an antibiotic, but actually it is. Uh, it's, an, it's a very, very powerful antimicrobial. And I know people who just like drink it every day, you know, as like, a, oh, I'm, I'm just makes me... Right. It's my immune system healthy. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, they use oregano oil as an antibiotic in livestock, for example, to avoid disease. So, like, it's I mean, some of these things Powerful. are really strong. You know, aspirin is willow bark, really. You know, and a lot of these antibiotics are sourced from, I mean, even the prescription ones are sourced from natural compounds. So I think sometimes, you know, it just feels like, oh, it's because it's at a natural grocer. <laughs> it must not be the same thing as taking my Cipro. But actually, a lot of them are indiscriminately antimicrobial and also get used in such in, indiscriminate doses that people are just at home just like dosing things and, and not really thinking that oh that, that could impact my microbiome because it's natural quote-unquote natural yeah which I'm sure is probably something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of when it's not a prescription and then of course like stress is a huge one on your microbiome from a microbial perspective there's a great study like years ago I meant to look up the other day for somebody <laughs> again, but like you can see just, just in a crowded elevator, they could see um, the microbiome respond, which I thought was like That's really wild. fascinating, but definitely stress is a big one, which of course, you know, you, you, you of course know um, from a GI perspective, we've all kind of had those feelings that when we're stressed, nervous, you know, you can kind of start to see that connectivity. And of course, when you get into gut brain and start to understand some of that bi-directional Communication, stress is a, is a big one. You know, environment, all the things we talked about for children are all the same, <laughs> having dogs like yours. And um, of course, thinking about what you're cleaning your home with, what you're cleaning your clothes with, you know, how you think about your skin barrier, skin microbiome. Are you washing too often? Again, we put a lot of these like seed oils and, and in the natural world, like very strong antimicrobials on our skin because it's like marketed as like natural and clean skincare, but actually they can often be just as perturbing some of the quote-unquote perceived like synthetic or chemical compounds. And then the biggest one is diet, really. We know from big projects like the American Gut Project that the diversity of plants that we eat in a given week equals the diversity of our microbiome. And, you know, while we don't really know that there's one healthy microbiome, we do know that there are some markers that constitute a healthy microbiome, and diversity is one of them, which is kind of going back to that rainforest example. And so... The diversity of plants and, of course, the quality of what those different plant-based foods are, the addition of things like omega-3 are incredibly important to the microbiome, uh, but in a lot of the, the compounds that come from plants, like polyphenols, for example, from dark berries, or understanding that our microbes, not just, you know, sometimes people think it's, oh, it's just the fiber and that feeds your good mi microbes, but actually it is that it's one way that all of these plants work to nurture and nourish our microbiome. But the other way they work is that they, they're compounds that our microbes use to make really important other things. <laughs> and the metabolites that they're making are incredibly important for so many areas of our systemic health. So like a great example would be 
certain like polyphenols um, be, are produced into compounds called short chain fatty acids. And one of those, which some of your community have heard of, is called butyrate. And butyrate is such an important like fuel source for your colonocytes, for, for the lining of your, of your gut wall. And so there's this like beautiful interaction between what they're getting from your diet, what they turn it into, and then what the thing that they turn it into, how that then supports things like the integrity of your gut wall, as an example. So it's not always just the microbes just doing something or just feeding them prebiotics so that they can grow. But actually there's this like, there's lots of feedback loops and lots of important things that are coming from diet that if they don't have a source to make those things, you're not get, you don't have those things because your human parts cannot make those. Your human body cells cannot make vitamin K. You cannot make B12. Microbes can, but they need to be nurtured in order to produce things. And so I think that's like an interesting way to also think about diet, not just like fertilizer, but also like giving them the fuel source or the things that they need to be able to then make those other compounds that are critical for our health. Yeah. And you mentioned, as you said, on that diversification where so many of us are just eating the same couple of things. Yes. And so being really conscious, that was one of my New Year's resolutions was like having more variety and going to the store each week and buying a different vegetable than I normally buy, which is hard. You know, we get so stuck in our ways, but it's so important. Yes. And it is hard because especially when you're like really healthy, you do have like this, like, I do see a lot of people who are really healthy who have regimens of like, yeah. see, smoothie, the same, this is it. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, it's all, look, it's such a sliding scale, right? Like the truth is, is if, if you were eating McDonald's every day or fast food every day and you figured out how to have a smoothie and it happened to be the same smoothie every day, okay. I would take that over like diversifying your plants to 30 different plant vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds every week. So, you know, a lot of it is also just what you can do, what you have access to. I'm sure that's some of what you talked with Sam, <laughs> Sam Katz about on his episode. So, you know, I don't want to come off as like tone deaf to that because I think a lot of it has to do with everybody's in a different place in their health journey. And particularly when it comes to food, so much of it does have to do with access, both in terms of cost, location, geography, you know. And so I think it, it the, regardless of any factors, I think what we know is that diet is probably the most meaningful lever we can have in terms of nurturing and, under, and, and, and nourishing this like ecosystem um, of the microbiome in our bodies. Wonderful. So let's dive in to your product and how sure. that is helping. So I'd love to hear about, obviously what your product is, is very different and unique on the market. And really you've put so much research and clinical trials. And so it'd be great to talk about, you know, what the strains are and really, you know, how it's, it's different than what's on the market. Sure. Are you referring to the adult product first or our pediatric? Adult. Adult. Cool. Yeah. So, well, let's just like what we did with microbiome, it's probably important to first like define probiotic because outside of microbiome, it's probably like the most misused word that I, <laughs> that I've ever encountered. Um, especially in the U.S. because the term probiotic is not regulated the way it is in like the EU or places like Japan and other parts of the world where it has like a very specific scientific definition. So a probiotic and the most nerdy science def scientific definition, which actually our chief scientist who oversees all of our consumer work 
had actually chaired the panel for the WHO and the UN to actually define this. And he oh, was president amazing. of ISAP. So I'm very sure about this, <laughs> which is that it's a live microorganism that when administered in an adequate dose confers a benefit, a health benefit to the host. And, and if you just break that down, live for probiotic to be considered probiotic, you have to demonstrate its, its, its viability. So like as a live organism. When you're buying a probiotic in the store, or even in our product, it's lyophilized, which basically is a way it's like a suspended state of liveness. It just needs to be rehydrated and then it kind of comes back to life. Administered in an adequate dose is, is kind of code word in science for was studied in a human clinical setting to establish the dose at which it could have a benefit, very specific, defined and measurable benefit in the host, which is you. Now, it could also be in a dog or in our case, in honeybees and other areas of our environmental research, even coral reefs. But for this today, we'll talk about humans. But a host is obviously the intended beneficiary of administering the microbe. And microbiome, I'm sorry, probiotics is a, is a really specific field of science that's looking at how you take microbes and administer them in the way that under the, the, you know, the, the circumstances that I just mentioned, to be able to have an impact in a very specific area of human health. They kind of got started because of the way it's been marketing commercialized in the US. Probiotics are kind of like, I always joke, like just go on Amazon right now, you can buy probiotic pillowcases and cleaning products um, and tortilla chips and chocolate bars. But unfortunately, and while well, those things are probably delicious or all, all are probably not delicious, cleaning products, they don't qualify under that definition. And then you get into more nuanced categories like kombucha and fermented foods and yogurts, which depending on which one, under what conditions may or may not qualify, most don't because you're not really controlling for dosage and most have not been put into clinical work. Most are just using microbes that have, are good at lactic acid fermentation and can make delicious things, but are not necessarily probiotic. So just know that that's like, before I get into our first product, that's like our definition of a probiotic. So in order to satisfy that definition, our first product, which is called DSO-1, which is a daily symbiotic, is a combination of 24 strains of probiotics and a very specific kind of prebiotic, which is different than what you find in most prebiotics, which are usually what they call fermenting compounds, which means that microbes ferment them to create kind of some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, where they use them to grow. Ours is different in that it is non-fermenting. So people who are like on FOD, not, you know, FODMAP diets or yeah. who have like this GI discomfort from prebiotics, it's very well tolerated by. And it's made from a compound called punicalgin, which is sourced from the skin of Indian pomegranate. And it is a compound that microbes use and they biotransform it um, into some of the other compounds that I mentioned earlier that are beneficial to the body. The interesting thing when we set out to <laughs> formulate DSO-1 was you know, of course we wanted to be able to demonstrate digestive and GI function benefits that you find with a lot of strains that are very well characterized today. But we also really screened against hundreds and hundreds of strains to be able to also look at really interesting endpoints beyond just, it, you know, in the gut. So of course, things like gut barrier integrity and gut, gut immune function and the digestive benefits, but then also really we're looking for well, what's interesting on cardiovascular health, the gut liver access. So looking at how that impacts cholesterol levels, for example, 
and microbes that uh, work on that gut liver axis. So you think about how you could prevent like the reuptake of cholesterol circulating in the body or on dermatological health where you had microbes that were really good at reinforcing the gut skin axis and dampening certain inflammatory responses. And then lastly, which I think we're really excited about, and we just published a paper about recently, although this was in, just a note that this was in vitro and not in clinical work, is the ability to use our formulation to demonstrate that it could increase micronutrient synthesis. Specifically, we looked at how our probiotic symbiotic could increase the production of folate in the body and B12. Well, you know, Mike, those are two vitamins or micronutrients that your body, your human body cannot make. Um, and we've been able to demonstrate both of those. So that's really exciting. And I think a, a, an area where the field is certainly going to go more. And of course, for vegans, people who have trouble with each element, you know, those are really interesting, like early findings. That's um, huge. And so I think, you know, for us, we, we've been, it was the, it's the only product we've had in the market <laughs> until our pediatric product. And it's one that we're very, very proud of. And I think, you know, I don't want to bore, bore you with all the other reasons that it's really impactful, but I would say the only the other thing that does make it so efficacious is our delivery system and the ability to have this dry cap and cap system that we have been able to demonstrate in simulations of the gut models to have a hundred percent delivery to the end of the small intestine of the, of the colon. So I think the 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 delivery and the ability to maintain viable live organisms that far down into the gut where the majority of your microbes reside has been I think part of what has made it such an effective and successful product. It's amazing. So obviously we're all unique and have different yeah. microbiomes, but generally, can you say like how long does someone need to be taking it daily to start seeing and feeling those benefits? I mean, the, the, it's interesting, the personalization piece and the notion that everyone's different and therefore they should need different things is like a, also a huge myth if you want to unpack a little bit too. But in terms of the, what your direct question was, in terms of timing, I mean, look, the truth is, is that to your point, everyone does feel and experience things very differently. And not everybody who's taking our product is experiencing any GI distress. So you wouldn't notice it necessarily there. However, I can tell you anecdotally yeah. that, you know, some people will say within a day or two, I immediately noticed a change in my stool hydration and just going to the, actually just going to the bathroom regularly. And then there's other people who would say, I actually don't have a lot of digestive issues, but I just noticed that X, Y, Z from like, when I traveled, I didn't experience uh, certain disruptions to my regularity, for example. And then there's other areas where like, I think people just, you know, I don't, I don't know that you feel gut barrier integrity <laughs> necessarily. And of course we get all kinds of wild anecdotal data from people saying how meaningful and impactful it has been to their health. But most of those we can't really talk about because, of course, we, we don't ourselves don't have the data for it. However, the one, the one cohort that we got so much feedback from, which is people with diagnosed IBS, um, did incept our trial at Harvard that we are now finishing in the next few months because we got so much feedback from people with IBS that we really needed to in interrogate what was happening and why it was so impactful. Because, of course, that's a, that's a condition that impacts 15% of the American population, yet there's really very little answer for it. Wow. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. No, that, and that, that's one of those moments where you're like, wow, that's amazing. That feedback loop of like, put something out, hear this information and then be able to use people's like personal experiences to move science forward. I mean, that's a really, that's a, that's an, that, that was one of the 
unexpected, but like kind of going back to your earlier questions for me, very meaningful and fulfilling reasons to continue to do what we do. Yeah. So on that note, what's next for you and Seed? Well, we're, we launched our uh, pediatric product, which is basically very similar rationale to what I just described for our daily symbiotic. It is a symbiotic. It is a two-in-one powdered symbiotic. So uh, formulated for you know, children and adolescents age all the way from three to 17. And it's nine probiotic strains and a really interesting fiber-based uh, long and short-chain prebiotic which I'm happy to nerd out about it if you would like to. It's non-stimulating, which is, I think, really important just for so many parents who look for anything to help with pooping issues, which, you know, I think it, at, at this point, I think 30% of children struggle with some aspect of constipation or GI-related distress, which wow. is it's extraordinary. Number. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that, to be honest with you, when we, when we first started, I, I didn't realize it was that high when we first started. I don't think that was really the intention was to that was not like our sitting in some slides somewhere being like, this is our target market. But actually you, you start to talk to parents and you start to understand the Facebook groups that are just set up purely just because like my kid won't poop or can't poop. And I think you have to, of course, look to some of the stuff we spoke about earlier, like diet and the lack of fiber in our diets to really start to understand why this is true. But anyway, so, so PDSO8, which we're very excited about actually has about five grams of fiber per serving, which is a nice way to kind of bridge, I think, what a lot of parents find it to be very hard to meet, like some of the full fiber, you know, dietary like requirements for, for fiber each day and also just to help and make sure that regular easy pooping can happen <laughs> for their kids. And so that was another one where we were like, okay, we know that increasing weekly bowel movements, some of the immediate digestive benefits and GI benefits were very important as we, as we put this formulation together and started to think about our clinical work as well as the strains we were going to work with that had already been studied under certain clinical conditions. But then there are like really interesting areas that we had, that as we started to formulate and screen strains for, we, we included. So for example, it's the first multi-strain probiotic to include these two very pioneering strains that were just studied out of a 300 plus trial, clinical trial in Europe for respiratory health. So they were able to demonstrate, and again, this is that gut lung access that I was talking about, that it helped create a healthy respiratory response to seasonal allergy molecules. Okay. So you can start to think about, you know, probiotics as being much more than like, ugh, if I just take a, I just don't want to have gas. <laughs> you start to like see the future where, wow, we're starting to look at like inflammatory responses and immune function responses, respiratory tract responses to certain things that impact a lot of kids like seasonal allergies. And so that was something that was really, really interesting for us. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was safe and tolerable. So with that much like prebiotic, we wanted to make sure you weren't like creating any like GI distress just by the kids, kids taking, you know, that much prebiotic to be able to get that amount of fiber. And then in our own 12-week clinical trial, which actually used like really interesting advanced bioinformatics, we were able to demonstrate the increase in weekly bowel movements, which I think is, as I said, with a non-stimulating formulation. And I think a lot of parents really don't want to give kids things that are stimul stimulants to be able to go to the bathroom. And so we're very excited about that, um, as well as we were able to demonstrate what they call a bifidogenic effect, which means the increasing of bifidobacteria in the gut, which is very important for a, uh, a child's flourishing microbiome. So I think we're really proud of it. I think it, there's some other really cool aspects to it, but it's certainly all the, the regular testing and 
maniacal rigor that we put into everything we, we do. Um, but from a scientific perspective, I think in a category that is flooded with gummies and sugar for vitamin, yeah. crazy things that I, we see all the time and crazy claims and benefits that we have no idea where they came from. I think I, I, as a parent, feel very good putting this out into the world and feeling like we put something out that really, I think from a category perspective is defining. Well, it's incredible the the science, the research, and the products that you have brought to market. And I, I, I'm just so excited to see what's next because it just seems yeah. like there's so much to uncover and, and to deliver in a product form that makes it easy. And, and to your point, like not changing habits, it's just, you know, something that becomes part of your, your life. Yes. Agreed. Well, thank you. I thank you. I hope I'm back here at some point talking about all our work for women's health and other, other areas that we're working on, um, as well. So thank you. Awesome. Well, we're going to end it. I could go on and on asking more questions, but we're going to end it with a quick rapid fire Q and A. Okay. What's the best advice that you've received to help your business? I mean, the best advice I ever received was the last thing my mom ever gave me, which was this little wooden pen that she gave me before she died that said she didn't always follow the recipe. I love that. I think it's true for anybody. Yeah. Three random things that you're currently loving. <laughs> random things? Yeah. It could be like a TV show, a product, anything. I'm like gonna have no lights. All I do is all I do is work and hang out. Favorite food, favorite uh, podcast, book, anything. I mean, I'm 37 and a half weeks pregnant, so I'm currently really loving water <laughs> uh, to the tune of like 84 ounces a day. I am really loving. I I I love training, like like. CrossFit training like and I did it my whole first pregnancy and I did it this one so like that's kind of like one of my little obsessions and I'm loving oh this book I'm finishing up this book called Natural by Alan Levinovitz which was it kind of goes dovetails with a lot of things I was talking about earlier which is like unpacking what the word natural means in the history oh, I love of that. it's really interesting yeah what do you want more of in your life time what do you want less of? Logistics. Your favorite seed moment. I think every day when I look at our, our care channels and our Slack and I see what comes through from people that we serve every day and who we impact. And what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Non-attachment. I think the, that's the best thing I ever learned in my life. <laughs> Attachment is the root of all suffering, whether it's to like your morning matcha, to what you think you should be, what you think health is, what you think success is, all of it is unnecessary and probably like the most defeating of whatever your goals are for your, for yourself and for your, for your wellness and for your health. I love that. Well, in closing, anything else that we haven't talked about and where can everybody find you? Oh, sure. Yeah. you can find us at seed.com, uh, at seed on Instagram, where we put out all kinds of crazy nerdy knowledge all the time. Such fun stuff. In really digestible, no pun intended ways. 
Um, and I'm Eric at Eric Hats on Instagram. And our products are all at t.com. Wonderful. Eric, thank you so much for being on today. This was so wonderful to connect and share all of your knowledge with our community. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.